0: Well, good morning. That woke you up, didn't it? Good morning. We're so glad you're here this morning. We're going to continue in our series, Seven Reasons Why We Can Trust God. I don't know about you, but I was thinking about kind of the, the home I grew up in this last week. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, the, what, the home I grew up in was that home where my mom and dad taught me, like, manners matter. Anybody else grew up in that kind of home? Right? And so what that meant was that when someone said something to us, the response was, and the only appropriate response was, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, ma'am, and no, sir. Anybody else grew up like that, right? I mean, that was it. And if you didn't grow up like that, shame on you, right? I mean, so that's how y'all grew up. That's how I grew up. And, and the thing about it was, was this, is that when you were told to do something, there was no question to ask. You just did it. If my dad said, jump, you just started figuring out how high, right? I mean, you started doing it. There was no room for questioning. It was yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. And, you know, I think probably for me, and Sonia would attest to this, one of the most difficult times and hard, hard seasons for me as a parent for all three of my boys is when they were like preteens to that early teenage year. That like 11 to 13 was really hard because in that season you say stuff like, hey, go clean your room. To which they say, not yes, sir, not yes, ma'am. They say, what? Why? right? I'm just going to mess it up again anyway. Why do I need to clean this? Or, hey, would you go make your bed? Why? I'm going to climb back in it 14 hours later. Why do I need to make it right now, right? And so there's this idea of why. And no matter, and my oldest was the worst. No matter what I said was always followed with why. And as a parent, the reason I struggled is because there was moments that I literally just said to them with a very intensity about my voice. They would say, because I said so. Right? I'm not going to tell you why. I'm just saying do it, so just do it. Anybody else struggle with that kind of parenting? Right, okay, great. I I mean, I wrestled with that. Now, what I found out was this. Did me just having that stubborn attitude that said just do it because I said so, did that ever really work? No, it didn't work. Now, with my oldest, what worked was when he asked why if I explained the why. That seemed to make a bigger difference for him. Now, I bring that up because of this. I think for most of us in the room today, we know that if you're a follower of Jesus, we know that we need to trust the Lord. We know that. But we struggle with that, don't we? Because life happens. Life begins to spin out of control. Things begin to, we get thrown a curveball in life, and, and everything's going crazy, and we know we're supposed to trust God, but yet we still wrestle with the why. God, why can I trust you? What is it about you, God, that is dependable? What is it about you, God, that is trustworthy? God, why can I trust you? So this whole series is driven around the idea of why. Why can we trust God? So as we began this series, we said one of the reasons we can trust God is because he is the great I am, right? Do you remember that? If you remember, say amen. It's the great I am. I mean, he is the eternal one. He is the one that exists beyond time and space. He holds galaxies in his own hand. And one of the reasons we can trust him is because one name does not encompass all that God is. The only name that can come close to getting a picture of the magnitude, the majesty, and the bigness of God is just the phrase, I am. One reason we can trust him because I am is your God. One reason. And last week we said the reason we could trust him is because he is omniscient. Meaning he knows what? Everything. There's nothing that escapes the mind of God. Now I said last week, you know, I didn't really want to spend my time building the case that God was omniscient. Either you're going to choose to believe it or not. But what I did want to do is talk about it through Psalms 139 and realize that if if God is all-knowing, Either that's going to be a comfort to us, or that's going to be a challenge for us. And you have to decide which one that was. Now today, I'm going to give you a third reason we can trust God, and it's this. It's because God, I'm going to give you the theological word, it's because God is omnipresent. Meaning that God is ever-present. You know what that means? He's everywhere, all the time, never ceases not to be. Now, I don't know that I can wrap my mind around that totally the way I should, but what I do know is that God is everywhere. Now, some of you that are way smarter than I am say, yes, Doug, I know that because I'm a Christian, and now I have the Holy Spirit in me. Yes, you are right. But I'm talking about beyond the Holy Spirit being in you, God is present everywhere, all the time. There's not a place, there's not a cave, there's not a crack on this planet that God is not present. Now, let me build the case just for a moment. Let me read you two passages of Scripture. The first one's in Jeremiah chapter 23. Listen to 23 and 24. God says this to Jeremiah. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? In other words, I'm a God that's present, not a God that's far away. Can a man hide himself in the secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? In other words, is there any place humanity can go where i'm not there and what is the answer no okay you weren't convinced of that let's try that one again and what was the answer no there's not a place like that go back to psalms 139 verse 7 through 12 it says this it says where shall i go from your spirit david talking oh where shall i flee from your presence if i ascend to the heavens you were there If I take my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is light with you. In other words, there is no place that any one of us can go where we can hide from God that the presence of God is not with us. Now, listen to me this morning. My goal for the next 30 minutes is not to build the case where you walk out going, I didn't used to think God was ever present, but now I do. That's not the case. You're going to choose to believe that or not believe that. But what I do want to do this morning is I want to build the case for what is the value of God being present in our lives. If he is everywhere all the time, never not with us, what is the value of God's presence? What is the value of him being with me? Now, there's a lot of passages I could have looked at today. There's so many. But I chose one that I find that is very familiar. Maybe most of you have heard this passage. You've read through this passage. It's a passage that David cries out. It's at the very end of David's life. It's a passage that typically we hear read at funerals because we hope that people that have passed away can say this about their lives. But the reason I've chosen the passage is this. I believe as David looked back on his life, the one thing David was for sure of was this, is that everywhere he went, through the highs and through the lows of his life, God was always with him, right, amen, always with him, and as we look at this passage, I believe there are six things we can learn about the value of God being present, six things that David points out, so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Psalms chapter 23, Psalms 23. Many of you can recite it, quote it, but we're going to read together. I'm going to ask you one more time. Would you stand in honor of reading God's Word? It says this, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Forever. May God bless the Ringham's word. Have a seat if you would. Have a seat. Now, as I look at this passage, there are six things I want us to bring out. Six things that I believe that point to the value of God being present with us. Six things when you leave today can go, because God is always with me and He's never not with me. Here's six things that are valuable to me that I need to remember as I move through life. And the first one's found in verse one: He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Now, what he's saying is this, is that his presence brings comfort. That his presence brings comfort. Now, I want to I unpack this because how many of you have ever been to a funeral and you've heard this passage read? Let me see your hands, okay? Everywhere. And people do just such an eloquent job of reading it and, and reciting it and talking a little bit about it. I want to dissect it this morning because there's way more there than what we typically think of. And I want you to start with, he says, the Lord. Now, who's David talking about? He's not talking about a neighbor. He's not talking about a friend. He's not talking about a person, in authority over him, just immediately over him. He's talking about who? Yahweh. That's who he's talking about. The creator of the universe. The great I am is who David's talking about. The Lord is who? My. Let's stop there. My. My in the Hebrew is a personal pronoun. It means possession ownership now this was a cutting-edge concept because if you study any other religion in the world if you were to go back and study Babylonian culture or Egyptian culture they had a god for everything but one thing about their gods they worship was this none of them were personal none of them were personal they reigned from on high it was almost there's a there's a phrase it's called deistic. They, they were almost deist, meaning they felt like their gods kind of wound up creation like a clock and let it go and say, Let's just see how this thing pans out. Now that David is saying, that's not my God. The Lord is what? Mine. There is a personal relationship that the creator of the universe, the great I am, has with his people. Is that good news? And it'll be great news for us. And yeah, that's right. And he says, the Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, I am, Elohim, the Lord, is my shepherd. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I'm thinking about adjectives to describe my relationship with the Lord, I think shepherd would be the last one I would use. Right? Now, think about it. Think of other adjectives that you are, other names that you could use of God. I would start with the Lord. Is my provider. He's Jehovah Rapha, right? The Lord is my peace. He's Jehovah Shalom. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you think about it contextually, here's what immediately the readers would have thought about for a moment is, shepherds are dirty, right? Because where do they spend all their time? Come on, where do they spend their time? Not a trick question. With the sheep shepherds are dirty. In fact, if you go to the New Testament, you see the first people that heard about the coming of Messiah, that the baby was born in Bethlehem, the first announcement came to who? The shepherds. But the problem with that was the shepherds, because they were dirty, because they always lived with the sheep, they were viewed as ceremonial unclean, which meant they couldn't go worship in the temple until they went through a ceremonial cleansing. So when David says Adonai, the great I am, is my, I'm waiting for this profound drum roll, and this great name. And he goes, shepherd. See, I think dirty, unclean, but that's not what David thought. You know what David thought? There's two qualities of every good shepherd. You know what they are? First one is they're present. They're always there. They never leave their sheep. I mean, if you were to study people, uh, the, the, the cultures, in fact, I've been to Romania many, many times, and they still have uh, you know, shepherds out there that are with their sheep. They never leave the sheep, especially when they're moving them from one place to the next. Because if you leave the sheep, what do sheep do? In fact, Scripture says that, right? The shepherd was struck, and what do the sheep do? Scattered. Without a shepherd, sheep scattered. You know why sheep scatter? Because sheep are stupid, right? Sheep aren't smart. Now you're laughing, but the Bible calls us sheep, right? Calls us sheep. Think about that one. Don't laugh too hard. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd, meaning he is present. He's always with me. But the second quality of every shepherd is this. not only is he present, but he knows and he tends to the needs of the sheep. He knows every need of the sheep, and he tends to them. So if that need is protection from the wolves, the shepherd's stepping up. If that means provision for food, the shepherd's taking them to a pasture where they can eat, right? David says, listen, the great I am is personally my Shepherd He is personally present with me everywhere I go and he's meeting my needs over and over and over again now here's his conclusion: The Lord is my shepherd I shall not what want I shall not want His conclusion is this: is because the great I am is my shepherd who is present and who meets my needs I can take comfort. I have comfort in knowing the great I am is always with me. I have great comfort in knowing the great I am knows my needs, but he meets my needs over and over and over and over and over again. Now, please hear me, church. One of the values of God being ever-present with us all the time, everywhere we go, is that his presence should bring us comfort. Because if you're a believer. Your God is your shepherd, and he knows your needs, and he meets them. And because of that, we can find comfort. Amen? We can find comfort. And then he says this in verse 2. The Lord is my shepherd, thou shalt not want. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Not only does his presence bring comfort, his presence brings humility. His presence brings humility. Now, this is probably the one passage out of here that I'm like, I really don't care for that too much. And you'll understand why in a moment. But the word humility here, all I'm saying is this, is that God reminds us what our place is and reminds us of our desperate need for him. Right? God reminds us he is God and we are not. And we are desperately in need for him. That's what I mean by humility. Now, here's the humility we see in the passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's beautiful. He's my shepherd. He's with me. He's present. He meets my needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, look at that phrase. He says there's a couple things. First of all, he makes me lie down. Now, this phrase in the original language is not a phrase of persuasion. How many of you have a dog? Anybody got a dog? We got rid of ours. It was great. So anyway, you got a dog, right? So you, you, you have, I shouldn't have said that, but it's been great. So anyway, you, you tell your dog, come here, lay down, lay down, lay, lay down. And you just keep persuading them. Hey, lay down, lay down. You're such a good dog, such a good dog. Come lay down. I mean, you're trying to get your, that's persuasion. do okay, you understand that? Coercion is I'm sweeping the leg and I'm taking them down. Listen, this passage is not persuasion. It is coercion. Sometimes God makes us lay down. He has to proverbially sweep the spiritual leg and put us on the ground. Why? Because life gets out of control. We get out of control. We don't want to listen to God, and God forcibly humbles us. That's what David said. So as David's looking back over his life, he sees the comfort of God's presence, but he also sees the humility. Can you think of times in David's life when he was ignorant and ignoring the things of God, and God had to break him? Well, I sure can. He says, and he makes me... In other words, against my will, he makes me lie down. There are moments because there's moments in my life where I do not want to humble myself. There are moments in my life I don't want to listen. For example, David. Do you remember when he was looking at Bathsheba and he said he sent for her and the servant Ziba said, David, she's married. That's a no-no, David, don't do it. Did David listen to Ziba? No. He had Bathsheba come. See, God forcibly humbles us sometimes to remind us of our place, and listen to this, and to get our attention. Are you with me on that? Come on, church. You with me? Say amen. Don't want you to miss this. But here's what I want you to know. If some of you are like, God would not forcibly take take me down to the ground. Yes, he would. And if you've been a Christian for any long period of time, you've got stories of how God has disciplined you over the years. And some of those have been a discipline, like you got your hand in the cookie jar and you felt slapped. And some of them, your legs were swept. And you went down and things were broken. And you had to have time to heal. We know that that's how God works. But I want you to notice, he says, he makes me lie down where? In the middle of a steaming, hot desert. Right? Is that what he says? Where does he make me lie down? In where? Green pastures. See, this is the beautiful thing about God. Green pastures is a picture is that when God forcibly humbles me he, lies me, he makes me lie down in a place of plenty, not a place of desolation. He didn't make me lie down in the desert. He didn't take me out because if God were to act like that, then God is paying us back for all of our sins. But if God really has a heart to bring us back, he doesn't take us down in a desolate place, but he takes us down in a place of plenty. He says, listen, there have been times that God has forced me to lie down, but he's always done it in green pastures. He's always done it in the place of plenty, meaning this, that when God breaks us, he doesn't do it to destroy us. He does it to renew us. Now I'm gonna say it again. I don't want you to miss it. When God breaks us down, he doesn't do it to destroy us. He does it to renew us. That's why the green pastures. Now, think about that for a moment. Many of us in the room today, we live a life of arrogance. We live a life that says, God, I don't need you. And I'm telling you, when we live that way, whether it comes out of our mouth or just the actions of our life, God will humble us. He did it with David, didn't he? He sent a prophet named Nathan. Nathan told a story. And David began to burn with anger. And then I imagine Nathan just pointing his finger at David and said, David, the guy I'm talking about, it's you. You're the guy that is robbing people. You took somebody else's wife. And don't you take her? You had the husband position, and he was killed. David, the guy that you should be mad at is you, David. It's you. I'm just telling you, there are times in our lives we get so arrogant that God will humble us. But he humbles us to remind us that we're his. And he humbles us to remind us that not only we're his, but it's time for us to start acting like it. It's time for us to start living like it. So his presence brings comfort. It also brings humility. Let me give you a third thing his presence brings. It's found in verse, the end of verse 2 and verse 3. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness For his name's sake. Now, the the third thing that his presence brings is guidance. His presence brings guidance, right? Now, there's two things. If you notice, there's two times he says, he leads me. The first one he says, he leads me beside still waters. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a flowery field with a stream running down, and God just leads you, and you you can just roam, and it's just beautiful. That's not what it's talking about. Still waters is a picture of peace. That God leads us in the moment when life is out of control, when life is chaotic, when we feel like we're at the end of our rope, and God knows we need to find a place of peace. God leads us to a place of peace. Why does he do it? Because he says here, he restores my soul that there's times in our lives the guidance of God, the hand of the Almighty, guides us and directs us in a place of peace because He knows we are broken. He knows we're in turmoil. And He knows that we need a restored passion and vision for Him. And sometimes He leads us there. Did you pick that up on Psalms 139 a while ago? It says, when you, He holds me up and He leads me. Psalm 73 says, He leads me with his, my right hand. Now, Earlier today, as y'all were going to small groups, I was talk, trying to get Addie to give me a hug, which is a very difficult task, or to give me a hug, and, and she gave me five, and she saw her dad, she saw Tyler way down the hallway, and she starts running to Tyler. I'm like, well, what happened to me? So she's running all the way to Tyler, which is daddy, and as soon as she gets there, Tyler puts his hand down, she reaches up and grabs his hand, and all of a sudden, the frown turns to a smile, and he walks her all the way back down, and I thought, what a beautiful picture of what God does for us. Life knocks us down. Have you ever had the breath knocked out of you, like literally the breath knocked out of you, and you felt like you couldn't catch your breath? Does life ever happen that way for you? But we have a heavenly Father who holds us by our right hand, and he guides us to a place of peace. He guides us to a place where he can restore us. And then he says he also, knows he leads me by the still waters, but he leads me in paths of what? Righteousness. In other words, not only does he guide me to a place of peace, but he guides me in what it means to live a life that's holy and pleasing to him. Now, why does he do that? He says, for his name's sake. So God leads us down a path of how to live a holy life so that we might bring glory to him. So that our lives might reflect Him. And so when you think about what does the presence of God bring, it brings guidance. When you need peace, he takes us there to restore us. When we need to find out how to live our life, he shows us the way so that our lives will bring honor and glory to him. Now I want you to hear me. We live in a world that is loaded with chaos. And sometimes the line between right and wrong gets blurred. And oftentimes when we make big decisions, we tend to go with our desires over what probably God wants for us. But the only way we're going to find ourselves being guided to a place of peace and a place of living a way that's honoring to him is when we say, Lord, I trust you to guide me. Only God can take us there. If you're here this morning and you're looking for peace, you're not going to find it anywhere but him. You're never going to find peace. You're never going to find restoration. You're never going to find out what it means to live a life holy and pleasing to him. It's only found with him and no one else and nobody else. So what does his presence bring? It brings guidance. Let me give you another one. Number four, it brings encouragement. Look at me in verse four. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are what? With me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, his presence not only brings comfort and humility and guidance, his presence brings encouragement. Now, scholars will tell you this but there really probably was a valley of the shadow of death. It was somewhere on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. They don't know exactly well, but, they, but if you know that region, it's a very hilly region. But between Jericho and Jerusalem was this area known as the valley of the shadow of death. Now, why was it called the shadow of death? Because they, they believed the, steep, the pitch of it was so steep that the only time the sun would shine in the bottoms is when the sun was directly over the valley. So when the sun's not directly over the valley, what does it produce? Shadows. And they believed that these shepherds, when they would make this journey from Jericho to Jerusalem or Jerusalem to Jericho, as a shepherd, when you're herding sheep, you know something about valleys. What lies in valleys? Predators, right? They hide out. And shepherds knew that. And so when they get to these valleys, the shepherds literally would herd their sheep the best they could, and they would try to herd them and run them through the valley. Because you know if there's predators, you're going to lose some sheep. It's going to happen. But let's minimize the loss by running through the valley so we can get to the other side. All shepherds knew that. But David says, let me go back and read. Look at what David says. Even though I walk, not run, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. David said, listen, listen. Your presence brings me encouragement. You know why? Because when life hits hard and I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to run. I don't have to try to escape it. I can walk through it. Why? Because you're with me. And not only are you with me, but I don't even have to fear evil because you're with me. See, David says that the presence of God brought him encouragement. Encouragement because his presence destroys fear. And then did you notice what he says later? He says, even your rod and your staff comfort me. That's like me saying to my dad, hey, dad, your belt and that switch, they comfort me, God, or dad. I mean, how, how crazy to say that, right? Dad, that big old belt that comes to the belt loop and that big old switch that you made me go get, those things are comforting me, dad. Anybody else feel that way? No. But he says, listen, your presence is an encouragement. Because in your presence, there's no fear. In your presence, I even find your rod and your staff comforting to me. Now, what of the rod? The rod was a picture of discipline. Did David know discipline? Wow, did anybody know discipline other than David? I mean, David, if anybody knew discipline, David knew discipline, right? David knew a lot of discipline in his life. But then he says, your rod and your staff. Now, what was the staff used for? The staff was a picture not of discipline. The staff was a picture of provision, Because the staff was used for a couple of things, and you've seen the shepherd's crook, right? You know what that looks like? You know what? I'm just kind of doing a bad job of showing you, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like a large rod, but then it's got like a hook at the end. Well, you know what that was used for, right? That when sheep, because they're not very smart, would get away from the, the, the shepherd, and they would get close to a cliff, the shepherd would take that, and he would pull them back. Does that make sense? And then if a a sheep continued to do that, the shepherd would take the the crook and he would break the back leg of the sheep and then he would put the sheep on his shoulders and he would carry the sheep until the sheep healed. Why? Because he knew that the sheep was not that smart and I've got to show the sheep that going over the cliff is a really bad idea and so the best way to do it is to break them, carry them, and then once they're healed, maybe they will have learned their lesson. Does that sound like any of you in the room? And you know what also the crook was used for? When predators come, they would use the rod and the staff to beat them away. See, David says, I found encouragement in your presence. Fear doesn't belong here in your presence. We sing that song, you know, fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Well, that's true. That when we stand in the love and the presence of God, fear has no room in our lives. But even his rod, his hand of discipline, and his hand of provision, the staff, those two things brought David Encouragement. Let me say something to you. We live in a world of absentee parents, right? You are with me on that one? We live in a world of absentee parents. And if you're a parent, the greatest thing that you can give your kids, the greatest encouragement you can give your kids is to be present. Just to be there. Emotionally. Physically. and Spiritually. If you will be present for your kids, if you'll be there for them physically, emotionally, and spiritually, they will find encouragement in your presence. Whether it's discipline or whether it's provision, they will still find encouragement. And David understood that. Let me give you a couple more real quickly. The the value of his presence. Fifth is this. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. His presence brings blessing. His presence brings blessing. Now, when we think about the blessing of God, that means when God blesses us, it's just a reminder of how desperately he loves us. Amen? You believe that? David says, and David says three things about blessing. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, hey God, you bless me even in the face of my enemies and there's not a thing they can do about it. Even in the face of my enemies, those that are coming against me, those that are ridiculing me, those that are are trying to backbite me, those that are trying to persecute me, God, even in the face of all of that, you're gonna bless me and there's not one iota thing that my enemies can do about it because you're just that big. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of enemies. You anoint my head with oil. That was a picture of favor. When you anointed someone, it was a picture of favor, that God's favor is on your life, that God blesses you with his presence, and you have his favor. Did David know the favor of God in his life? Yes. David had a lot of these, and he had a lot of these, right? And yet the Bible still says this, that he was a man after God's own heart, right? favor and then he says my cup overflows meaning when you bless me listen listen when you bless me it's more than I can handle I mean my cup can't hold it I mean when your kids were little and they were pouring milk and the milk got to the top. I mean, my family, my wife, you know, I know you think she's sweet and she's adorable and she's all those things, but there's a little bit of evil and wickedness in her sometimes. And I know that when I we were, we were, you know, when I asked her to pour me a drink sometimes, she likes to fill it to the top where nobody can handle it. I mean, you can't bring it to me. I mean, I can't pick it up. I mean, and so I remember my kids, they like doing the same stuff as if it was funny. The problem was they never stopped at the top. It was always on the cabinet, on the floor, and because it overflowed, right? There was not enough room in the cup. Now, listen, that's exactly what David is saying. God, you bless me to where I still have enough room for it. I am oozing out your blessings in my life. See, David, when he looked back on his life and saw the highs and lows, said, Lord, when I was in the face of my enemies, whether that was Saul who's chasing me, whether it was Absalom who created rebellion, or my own sinfulness, when I was in the middle of my own enemies, God... And you pussed me. Absalom couldn't stop your blessing. Saul couldn't stop your blessing. And God, even when I was in despair, and even when I was living in rebellion, your favor was still on me. You anointed my head with oil. And God, as I look back at my life, here's what I know. That when I think about your blessings, they were more than I deserved, and they were more than I could handle. See, the same is true for us. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, the presence of God should remind us that his presence brings blessing. That when people are persecuting us or people are trying to take us down and tear us down, that he blesses us even in their presence and there's nothing they can do about it. And that no matter what you've gone through in your life, that his favor is with you. That's why Paul says, greater is he that is in me than he is what? In the world. And if God is for me, Who could be against me? Blessings. Let me give you one more as we close. Verse 6 says this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lastly, his presence brings hope. Hope. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hope for things to come. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to tell you as, as, as a pastor and your pastor, churches go through seasons. And we're in a season where we're seeing a lot of people who are experiencing a lot of death in their families and friends and neighbors. And I'm tired of it. Are you tired of that? I'm tired of it. But you know what? God's presence with us reminds us that there's hope, but this is not the end. The death is not the end. And there's one day, while he's with us now, there's one day we will perfectly be in his presence his physical presence, and we will see the physical Lord Jesus, and we will worship him, and we will join with the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty He was and is and is to come. There's going to be a moment we are in his presence. See, listen, the world tries to knock us down and distract us. The enemy doesn't want us living an effective life for Christ, but when we think about the presence of God being with us, it reminds us that his presence brings hope, that this world is not the best. There's a world yet to come. And some of us that are believers in the room need to live in light of that hope, which means we need to live urgently to share that hope with other people. And then there's maybe some of us in the room today that have never experienced that hope. We've never surrendered our life to Christ. And this morning, right where you sit, you live hopeless. Because if your day ended right now, if your life ended right now, your future is not with Him in His presence. Listen, I want you to experience the hope of Christ this morning. For some of you in the room today, what you need more than anything else, what you need to do is to say yes to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He came for you. He died for you. And all he asks in return is for you to receive him as Lord and Savior. And then you can have the hope of heaven. So here's my question as we wrap it up. Which one of these six that I mentioned do you need this morning? Some of you that are believers, maybe you look at your life and go, you know what? What I need is comfort. God, I, I need to know today that, that you know my needs and that you're going to meet them. God, I'm struggling, and I need to know that your presence brings comfort. Some of you say, Lord, I, I need to know that your presence brings humility because I've been doing life on my own, and I've forgotten my place. Lord, I need your presence to bring guidance because I, I'm, I, I'm just like a chicken with my head cut off, Lord. I'm just moving and going and there's no rhythm to what I'm doing. I'm searching and I need your hand to guide me. Maybe this morning say, Lord, I just need your presence to bring encouragement. I just need your presence. I, just, I need to celebrate that you would never leave me alone. Or maybe you just say this morning, Lord, I just need to know that your presence brings blessing. That you love me. That I am loved this morning. Or maybe you might say, no, I need to know that your presence brings hope. That if I surrender my life to Christ, I have the hope of heaven. So I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to close with this. Which one of these six today do you need? And will you cry that out to God? And say, God, I need this today. I need your presence to bring me comfort, humility, guidance, encouragement, blessing, and hope. God, I need that today. And if you're a believer in the room today, if you need to come to this altar, it's open. But please don't leave this morning and not respond to the way the Lord He wants you to. I'm going to ask you right now, everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand and every head bowed and every eye closed. Everybody stand if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want you to think deeply about that question. Out of these six things, as we think about the value of God being present with us, and David did such a beautiful job of laying it out. Which one do you need? And I'll me going, no, I'm good. I don't need them. Well, first of all, you're not good. You do need them. Every day, we need one of those six. Because life is going to hit you hard, and it's going to hit you fast, and you're not going to see it coming. And you may need to know that God is always with you. You may need to know that he always meets your needs. You may need to know that he is an encouragement to you because even in his protection or his discipline, it shows that he's present with you. Every day we need one of these. The question is today, which one do you need? And will you cry out to God this morning? If you're a believer, will you just cry out and say, Lord, I need this today. I need to be reminded of this if you want to come to the altar to be open, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, would you say, Lord, what I need is hope. I need to know that when I leave this world, I'm going to spend it in your presence. And the only way for you to do that is by trusting Jesus as your Savior. And if you need to do that today, would you just simply say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I desperately need you to be the Lord and the boss of my life. And ask you to forgive me my sins, and I surrender my life to you. Man, if you'll pray something like that and open your heart to a holy God, the Bible says that if He stands at the door and knocks, and if you'll open the door up, He'll come in. And if you just prayed that, man, Heaven's throwing a party for you. And we would like to know more about that decision. Just please put it on the welcome card and give it to me. I'd love to know more about that. Let's pray together. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the ability to celebrate your presence, Lord. I think sometimes we forget that. We think we can hide from you. We think we can run from you. But God, you are everywhere all the time. There's never a moment you are not with us. And God, I pray today for all of us, for those, first of all, that are believers, that we would find the value in you being present that we can look at the things that David talked about today and go, Lord, thank you for being those things for me. Thank you for your presence bringing me comfort. Thank you for bringing me humility and encouragement. God, thank you for your presence. Now, God, here's what I need today. Lord, may we cry that out to you. But could I pray for that person maybe here today that's never trusted you, that a moment ago prayed that prayer. Would you give them the courage and the boldness to let us know that so we can celebrate with them And help them know what's next for them in their life. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that right now we know that you are in our midst. That you're here. So God, my prayer and my request of you, Lord, is that you would work in us only as you can. Where conviction needs to happen, will you convict us? Where brokenness needs to happen, would you break us? where encouragement needs to happen, would you lift us up this morning? God, more than anything, may we declare that we desperately need you. And may you work only as you can. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do for us. But today, we thank you for your presence in our lives. Lord, in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen, amen. If you need to respond, the altar is open. If not, would you just think about which one of these do you need today? And I'm just going to ask you, please don't leave today without responding and doing the business with God that maybe he's leading you to do. May we be faithful to respond to him.